This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 262 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, we have a couple of Bruins games to get to. We also have a guest on the podcast today, Peter Sibner from Elite Prospects, thanks to thanks to Bridget. And there's definitely some good conversation there regarding uh, World Juniors, prospects, and just the landscape of, of you know, the amateur hockey player in general. Cutter Gautier, because that's the hot, that's, that's the hot topic. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know how many places I've seen that, especially because he's from BC. So we've been hearing from some well, people. You know, what's, you know what's funny is I was – I I don't know why, but for some reason I was on the Philadelphia Flyers um, roster like yesterday because uh, there's a uh, remember Riley Riley Cote Riley Cody Cote for the Flyers like an enforcer. He has a yeah. he has a he has a podcast um, that just pops up in my in my YouTube algorithm sometimes, and they have like good guests on. And Craig um, Craig Barube was on, and they were just talking about certain players in the Flyers roster. And so I went to their roster and I saw Jamie Dr- Jamie Drysdale. I'm like, what? When the hell did Jimmy Drysdale play for the go, go to the Flyers? And then that's how I realized. So I googled it, and that's when I saw the breaking news. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, so we, I, was, we, I was on Twitter when that broke, and it was like it's just one crazy thing after another. Because I think that came down like I think all the night's games had already started Monday night, so everyone's kind of already in like game coverage. All the hockey people are on Twitter, and all of a sudden you get like Keith Jones is on like does a podcast appearance mid game and John Tortorella comments after the game and says he doesn't know Gautier from a hole in the wall. And it's like, it was just one crazy development after another. You had that same podcast guy, Anthony, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Knuckles or something or crossing broad, nasty broad. Um, but like he says, Kevin, uh, yeah, Kevin Hayes' fingerprints are all over it. And Kevin Hayes the next day gets asked about it and like says it's bullshit and is saying like the guy doesn't have a brain and all this. And it's like, oh, I didn't gone, hear that. This has gone so many directions and like just so crazy. But also yeah. for 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 Gauthier, like this was in the wake of um the the world junior gold medal game where you know Sweden was getting thrown fits at the end of the game and people are somehow saying. Team USA is classless, and then there's the handshake line of, of Cutter Gauthier, like kind of looks like he was talking trash to one of the players. So it was just kind of like a perfect storm of like headlines with this player. Seemed happy at the time, but I, uh, yeah, I guess I guess things soured. We we do get into that a little bit more uh, with Peter Sibner. It is kind of an interesting conversation to talk about because of just how horribly it flamed out and like how. The bridge is all the way gone, like it didn't even exist. Uh, it, it's one of the worst like fallouts I've seen, and I can't really blame him if he didn't want to play well, for John Tortorella. I'm sorry, like I I don't know how many people that are that age want to go play for John Tortorella. Well, sh- you know, sh- shame on us too, because like for the last year and a half, we've been talking two years about how what are the Bruins going to do when when Bergeron and Krejci retire up the middle, like they don't have any high draft picks to draft a center. We took, we completely ignored the fact that somebody could get drafted by another team and just want to play for the Bruins. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Just, just get in their ear, have someone call them on and be like, you don't want to play there. You don't want to play there. <laughs> yeah. Force you a know. team to trade you. Right. You know? Yeah. Macklin Celebrini 
coming to Boston. Now that is only that's only applicable to NCAA players that are drafted, not like junior Canadian junior players. Is there a difference there? I, I hear like people preface this with like NCAA players like have this chance, but maybe not. No, I think I think anyone could. I mean, the I think the only thing that's different for NCAA players is they could wait out the four years post draft if they played four full years in college and then hit free agency. That's different. But something like Gautier, like in theory, and and, and we talked yeah. about this a little bit with Peter, like any player could just be like, I don't want to play for the team that drafted me. And, you know, if, the, if we see kind of player empowerment movements in other sports, you know, basketball, football, where players have more of a say over kind of where they go and have taken on more power that way. And, it's possible like that comes to hockey or maybe at least a few cases here and there. And I guess, you know, it's something that teams are going to have to be aware of. Like obviously make sure you do your, your homework ahead of time and make sure a player actually wants to play for you if you, if you draft them. Uh, so not, not that that's necessarily what happened here because I think, it, you know, Gautier said it as Bridget reference, like for a, a while, it seemed like he was happy to be drafted by the, by the flyers. So, but obviously when, when, sour somewhere i'm gonna i'm i i was a little bit skeptical if there was something going on for before this happened though because um he's the kind of player that you could have he could have been one and done in college and i always just assumed he wanted to stick around because he thought they have a good chance of winning the national title this year with all the new prospects coming in like some of the other kids that played for team usa that are really good and i'm thinking oh he just wants to make like a super team win a college title and it kind of made sense to me, but I was like, yeah, the Flyers probably could have used them. I mean, the Flyers need help. Uh, they're not, they're, they're not the best. You, I kind of thought, oh, you know, you got this high number five overall prospect. You're going to, you're going to want to bring them in, uh, get them acclimated to the pros like sooner than later. And then I was like, oh, but he's staying at BC. That's kind of odd. Uh, and I, I, now we know that that's probably a big factor. Yeah. And if you, if you read or, or listen to like Elliot Friedman's reporting around this, it, it seems like something did happen at the end of last season. And Elliot has sort of said like, he, he can't quite pin down exactly what it was, but it seems like there was some sort of either, I don't know, miscommunication or misunderstanding around whether he was going to sign or whether what they were going to offer him or like, like, Elliot's been all around like something happened at the end of last season that kind of changed things. The, the I'm other on the case, guys. I'm on the case. I will the, find this out. The I other sources. The other detail that put put my mind into a pretzel was uh when I was like when I was recent when I saw Jimmy Drysdale's name on the Flyers roster, I was like, what the hell is well, what is this all about? Then I Google like when like when did Drysdale like did he get traded in the offseason? I wasn't paying attention, and I see that it was like literally 12 hours ago, and it says um, Cutter Cutter Gauthier uh, t- with the Team USA pictures, and I so I, I, I researched him a little bit, and it says he's born in Sweden. And I'm like, but he was playing for. T- I'm like, what? I'm so I'm so confused. <laughs> he he is Swedish born. Um, yeah, because his dad was playing in Sweden at the, at the yeah. But um, yeah, so that's a good story to follow. It's it's fascinating when something goes against the grain like that. Um, also, but, yeah. Also, if people are now interested in Cutter Gauthier and tune in to watch BC games. He's been centering a line with two Bruins prospects. His wings have been Oscar Jelvik and Andre Gasso. So uh, even even more reason to watch. Speaking of the Bruins, we do have uh, about just over 20 minutes remaining for this episode. So why don't we jump into the opening shifts and Scott, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, well, it's it's been a, a tough two games for the Bruins, not just because they lost to Colorado and Arizona, both uh, 4-3 losses, Colorado in a shootout, Arizona in, in overtime. So they get a point, but the injury bug has struck, and uh, yeah, Bridge is going to touch on this as well. But I'll start with the, the big one, which is Lena Selmark uh, leaving Tuesday night's game in overtime after uh, trying to make a save um, on Logan Cooley sort of he's going down, but at the same time reaching up and kind of goes into the splits a little and doesn't get up, just lays on the ice, clearly in pain. They had to stop play. He needed help getting off. He wasn't, wasn't pushing off at all. He was just being held and kind of gliding all the ways to the bench and then needed help getting down the tunnels. So doesn't look good. There was, there was no update after the game from Jim Montgomery. They're almost, there probably won't be one on Wednesday because the Bruins are completely off. It's a travel day to Las Vegas for them. Uh, so the earliest we'll probably hear anything is Thursday's morning skate. I'm assuming there's going to be a goalie called up. It did not seem like something that, you know, Omar's going to be recovered from by Thursday, but obviously we're, we're waiting word on the, severity and i know you know we're going to get more into what their options are what things look like if if he's out longer term but uh you know for now all we know is that he left the ice in quite a bit of pain and uh you know bruins might have to call someone up here it wasn't great to see him not even striding on his own just like kind of being guided over and uh you 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 know you you watch that one play and it's in overtime and it's like all right, if if Pasternak would have scored on that breakaway, Allmark leaves the game and that that play never happens. And you, you kind of think about like the Bruins needing to finish games early because it does put stress on your players. And, you know, it, you you give yourself more time to get injured. And we saw that happen in overtime with Allmark. Yeah. Um, Charlie Coyle absolutely robbed like towards the end of regulation, too. Yeah, the, there was chances to end it in regulation. There was chances for not to make it that far. And you see what happens. Um, very unfortunate. Obviously, you can't predict that. But you play more hockey, you have more time that you could get injured. And that one was a little bit fluky. But sometimes those ones that seem like they come out of nowhere that look like a regular play, those can sometimes be the worst ones. Uh, and it looked really not good. Um, so we will keep you posted on that. But um, first thought was like, oh, my God, that could be the season. Um, and then if that's a season for him, what does that mean for the Bruins? Is that the season for the Bruins? You know, you don't it, – It's it shouldn't it, it's be when you, have, when you have another number one goalie. It shouldn't be. Yeah, They're in a better position than other teams. To, to go to but, my opening shift, you lost three really important players over the last three days, right? You lose you, – you potentially lose a goalie for we don't know how long. You lose Brendan Carlo, who's been probably your best defenseman this year. Uh, he's, he, we're still waiting on an update for how long he'll be out, but he missed, uh, last night's game and against Arizona and Matt Potter goes down, uh, which is a center. And those are all three really important positions for you to, to not have injuries start coming. Uh, so you get one, you know, one goalie, one defenseman, one forward in the last two games, all going down. And, and the same thing as what Scott said for Allmark, we do not have an update on Potter and probably will not until Thursday once again, but he fell. This one was also not like a huge hit or anything like that. He just braced himself and he landed on the ice with his right arm first and it just like jammed or something. And he 
went to the bench, was in a lot of pain. You could see Nesson showed it, um, like his facial expression when the trainers were talking to him. And then eventually a minute or two after trying to like shake it off on the bench, he goes down the tunnel, doesn't come back. Uh, so those are, those are three big, big pieces that if they're long-term injuries, um, there's this, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the Bruins and different players to step up. So for me in recent weeks, recent episodes, we've been talking about the fourth line and there's a lack of identity and historically in the NHL, any successful team, um, you have a fourth line that has some size some physicality, some grit can score, um, and defensively reliable. Uh, but I don't, the Bruins don't really have that right now. And if, and you, you, you just, you can't force something to happen if you don't have the personnel. So maybe you try to find an identity that caters to what you do have in the system. And recently they've been going with, um, they call up Jesper Boquist. And in the most recent game, you had Jesper Boquist centering Johnny Beecher and Danton Heinen. So because the Bruins don't have, and, and the game's changing also, but because the Bruins don't have, you know, the, the Merlot line of old. They don't have that personnel. Loco's not it. Steen's not it. Well, how about a fourth line identity of speed, uh, reliability, and an opportunity to actually produce offense for them? And I think Boquist, Beecher, and Heinen could provide that. Um, the fourth line has two goals in the last two games. I know the, the Colorado game, Steen was in there. But Johnny Beecher scores against um, Colorado. Yes, but Boquist scores in transition on a nice shot against the Coyotes. And I, I kind of want to see them keep that threesome together for a little bit here. I know Matt Potrick goes down with an injury, so it might cause a ripple effect, but I see that as an opportunity to, to maybe potentially recall Merkulov if 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 they want to maybe kind of pound for pound replace what Potrick might be able to bring. Because um, I, I kind of want to see a fourth line form an identity, and I think that I kind of like what I'm seeing with those three last night. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I feel like for Thursday, it probably makes more sense to just kind of plug someone back in, move Heinen up to the third line. Frederick shifts to, to center, but certainly if, if Patra is going to be a longer term thing, and again, we don't know anything yet, but he wasn't quite a bit of pain as well. Um, yeah, it could definitely be an opportunity to bring Merkulov up, but obviously the question there is, are they going, going to use him more and give him more minutes than he got during this most recent call-up because it doesn't do a whole lot of good to call him up, throw him on the fourth line, give him six, seven minutes a game. So, yeah, if they were going to plug him right into Potra's spot on the third line and then still keep Heinen on the fourth line, I would like that. Um, we'll have to see if that's kind of in the cards here. Um, but, yeah, it's a lot of decisions coming up for the Bruins with, with these injuries, uh, we should note Brandon Carlo Montgomery said he's day to day. He's still on the trip. Uh, they have not called up another defenseman yet. It was, you know, Mason Lori has recovered from all his dental work and was back in there Tuesday night. So they have, you know, they they're six for now, even if Carlo misses another game or two. Um, but yeah, up front, Certainly, if Padre misses time, things change. And in goal, obviously, if all marks out, you're calling up most likely Brennan Bussey, although Michael DiPietro is, is also an option. DiPietro has slightly better numbers in Providence this year and has 
played three NHL games. Now the last one, one was like two years ago uh, when he was in Vancouver. But but Bussy got called up for a game earlier this year, served as a backup when Jeremy Swain was sick, uh, has not made his NHL debut yet, but you'd have to imagine that if Allmark misses more than a few games at some point, if he's the call-up, he'll make his debut because you're not going to, you know, I don't think they're going to all of a sudden turn Jeremy Swayman into like a true every game workhorse. He'll start more than 50% if Allmark misses time, but it might be, you know, two out of every three or something like that. I feel like, yeah, Brennan Bussey, remember when he was, there was one preseason game where he was lights out. And I think that was probably the first time a lot of people learned who he was. Uh, and people were like, oh, wow, trade a goalie right now. He's great. Like, it was like some overreaction to how well he played in the preseason game. Uh, I'd like to see him be the call-up. Uh, I'd like to see him and Swayman go back and forth. I think there's probably a lot he could learn from the experience. Um, I know he doesn't have any NHL experience yet, so maybe get him some uh play him against some teams that I, I want to look at the upcoming schedules or any teams like you'd see as like a natural place to get a, like a rookie goalie in. Uh, I'm going to try to find it, but Brendan Bussey, just throw him in Thursday night on the road against the defending cup champs. Good right idea. Good. Great <laughs> idea. You probably can't even get to Vegas that fast. <laughs> I don't know where, where Providence is playing if they're at home, if they're not, but the, yeah, they're, they're home. Yeah. They're home all week. So. Kind of a far, far trip, but yeah. you know, I think there's a direct flight from Providence to Vegas. Uh, oh yeah. Some of these games, uh, maybe throw them in against the Canadians at home. I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe that's your best bet. Cause this is a few tough games coming up. Jets, Avs, Knights, like you said, Devils, uh, maybe the Canadians. Well, but you're gonna have to trust him to play more than just the easy games. Uh, I, sh- I know to to get right to the point, like he's gonna have to play if if Allmark is indeed out for a long time, which I just have a really bad feeling about. Um, then he's gonna have to get into some of those games. Yeah, and, and look, if if Allmark is out for quite some time, I mean, I understand that the goalie platoon is something that a lot of people enjoy, and that's maybe their opinions on that change if the other part of the platoon isn't Allmark. Um, but I think we all here understand that life after Allmark in Boston is Swayman. And as long as Allmark is, is – as long as he's here and healthy, it seems that the Bruins will be doing that 50-50 split. But eventually, Swayman's going to have to get used to probably a more traditional – you know, one a uh, share of the games like most other goals in the NHL have to do. Um, so maybe it's not a bad time for him to start to play the majority of games here to see what life is like after Omar and 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 um, have more of the workload. Um, I do think that this injury opens up a lot of storylines for for talking heads around Boston. Um, because it does threaten the 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 goalie rotation that um, is very polarizing, and uh, so yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some people that will um, inhumanely say, "Good, good, I'm glad Allmark's injured because now we get to see Swim in the whole playoffs." Obviously, I'm I'm being facetious, but nobody actually wishes harm. But people will be like, "Now I get to see what I wanted to see all along." Um, and some people are are brutal with goalies for whatever yeah. reason. It's it's not just these two. It's like Tuka was a very polarizing person for. Well, we used to have callers that I used to absolutely just hit my mm-hmm. head against the wall when they called, and because it was just like so much hate for Tuka for no reason. But um, 
yeah, it's obviously they're better. They're a better team with Allmark healthy and available than with him out of the lineup. Now the question is just how much does it affect their record from now until the end of the season? If, if it is, you know, God forbid, if it is a season ending injury, how much does that change? How many points they're adding? Like you have to think that he's good enough. He's good enough to, to win you a few more games than you might win now. Um, because, you know, Swayman's going to be more taxed and it's just been working for not just this year, past years. So, like, how how much does that affect where you end up in the standings by the end of the season is really the question. Yeah, I mean, I want to slow slow down a little bit on season ending. Like, not we're not there I yet. know, but, Scott, it looked like a groin injury. It looked bad. Well, so- yeah, but, I mean, like, there's, there's so many different levels of, even if it is a groin or hit, like, there's goalies who miss – a month with a groin injury and then come that would be probably that would be you know people would be happy with that that that's not too or or there or there's little strains where you miss two games in your back like yeah but so but so and if but if you don't recover well enough then you re-injure it and then you're or you're in the playoffs and all of a sudden you're not 100 percent you're 80 percent and then they're right where they were last year no i know and they're they're gonna they're gonna be safe like obviously they're not gonna rush them back but yeah um yeah i'm just i'm not jumping to the worst case scenario i mean most teams don't even might be done for the year most teams don't even have well i shouldn't say most but a lot of teams don't even have a number one goalie the bruins have two so you know as far as like nobody here is screaming season ending uh injury for the bruins they still have a number one goalie um but to your point bridget like i do think goaltending in general and that includes all mark 50 percent of the time they have bailed out the bruins a lot this year the bruins have been out chance in a lot of games out shot in a lot of games so while they still have a number one goalie and that's what most teams at best have um they're gonna have to shore up defensively in front of bussy because you can't expect the same performance out of him yeah and and swayman too like if if swayman's playing more and being taxed more you know that the, the Bruins have had the luxury of, hey, they just alternate goalies every night. The goalie's always fresh. He's always on top of his game. He's never 85%. Like, they've had that luxury, and I think that can kind of creep into the mindset of, even though they know they're giving up too many high, high danger chances, too many odd man rushes in particular, like, they there is that feeling of, well, we have, like, the ultimate security blanket. And even, yeah, the games that Bussy plays, like, that's one thing that's obvious. You know, you're going to have to clean things up. But even Swayman playing more of a, you know, bigger workload, like, that should also kind of jolt guys into, hey, let's make sure we, we're actually doing our job in front of them because, you know, hey, he's he's not going to be 100% fresh every game. He's, you know, if he starts three in a row, he might be a little tired in the third game. Like, there should be that awareness the goaltending has lifted up the rest of the team so much this season and is the biggest reason they, you know, have one of the best records in the league. There should be sort of a, a, a mind, the team wide mindset of, okay, now we have to lift up the goaltending. Like now they, they need our help. So you would hope that guys are kind of, kind of feel that way. If, if all Mark's going to be out for a little bit. 
And it definitely wasn't an ideal situation to have Swayman sit the entire game and then come in with 220 left in overtime and try to try to go from being completely cold to to trying to steal you another point. Uh, so that wasn't ideal. Obviously, the Bruins end up losing that, but uh, in a very weird overtime, Pasternak had two chances to end it on breakaways. So they, he almost always does too. You're like, oh, okay, this is it, and then it's like, no, okay, uh, oh no, this is it, nope. All right. Uh, didn't end up. I was like, oh, it's going to it's going to go to the shootout. Nope. Uh, so just a weird, weird overtime. And of course, it happened at like midnight because the game started at 9 p.m. So some people probably woke up this morning and watched the end and were horrified by, you know, the, the injuries and, and you know, the result that it was an overtime loss. Yeah. But including Scott, yeah, because what, we lost power. I was going to say, yeah, people like me, because I <laughs> lost power that we got hit with a random wintry mixed storm and tons of wind. Uh, we got, up, I mean, you're in, Lowell, so. yeah, you're in um, Northern mass. You guys got whacked with it. We, we got, it's like, it was like 52 degrees, but like this horrible rain and flooding and, and down near where I live. So I know people today are, you know, probably still dealing with some of the effects of that storm. We've, yeah. got, we've gotten hit a few times this week. You know what I will say though, that, so I, I listened to the rest of the game on, on the radio um, because I could still do that at least. And then when I watched it this morning, Wednesday morning, um, because I knew the injury was coming, maybe I paid a little more attention. And there, in the third period, Allmark made like a very acrobatic split save. And then like maybe a minute or two after that, there was a play where I was like, I – I wouldn't have noticed it in real time just watching live, but I kind of thought to myself, like, is he getting up a little slow there? And it was, it was hard to tell if like, because there was a whistle, he was just taking his time or if he was actually maybe already dealing with something, but it's, it stood out like knowing that there was, you know, more serious injury coming. So I kind of, I kind of wonder if maybe he might've tweaked something earlier, thought he was fine. And then, you know, obviously tweaked it worse uh, the second time in overtime. I know, Scott, you got to get out of here soon. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we we send it over to our um, conversation with Peter Ebner? Yeah, I, I think I think we have to touch on the David Pasternak discussion off, oh of, my Monday, God. off of Monday night's game. What was game. that all about? Uh, this, this is insane. Like, I can't believe this blew up as much as it did. I so, couldn't believe it. So, look, Pasenak had an off game Monday night. Absolutely. Like, even during the game, he just he seemed, you know, Brick mentioned on the broadcast a couple of times, Jaffe and Razor Post game said it. Like, for whatever reason, he just seemed to be fighting the puck. He lost it a couple of times on turnovers, bobbling it, mishandled a couple of passes. It happens. And then you go to the shootout, and he has – if you strip it of all context, yes, it looks like a very lazy shootout attempt where he just moves in slow and fires five hole right at the goalie stick. Like, but people that I would expect or hope better from calling it lazy, saying like he wasn't trying or he didn't care. He should be benched. He should be suspended by the team for a game is unbelievably embarrassing. Like those people should be so embarrassed today because if you David Pasternak before Monday night was three for three this season on shootouts and, and penalty shots. 
only one of them did he deke. The other two, what did he do? He came in slow, hit his shot, and did that slingshot snapper off the hip that we've talked about that everyone marveled over at. How is he shooting that so hard? He took the same approach on this shot, and clearly what he was trying to do was hoping that the goalie, Alexander Georgiev, was going to expect that slingshot move, and he tried to quick-release five-hole, catch him off guard. It didn't work. Credit to Georgiev. He, he saw her come in and closed the five-hole. But it's like like the idea that Pasenak doesn't care about winning or like didn't want to score there or just like threw away a shot. It's like, wh- what are we doing, guys? Like, who are we to judge the like one of the best to ever do the shootout? Like, I'm it's just you have you gotta you gotta trust that he knew what he was doing there. I don't think he's the kind of player that's like, yeah, I'm just gonna take this one off. There's. <laughs> There's 8.7 billion people in this world. David Pashnak is one of the top three in the world at scoring hockey goals. You don't get to that level by not enjoy scoring goals and wanting to score goals. Scott, you nailed it. He was trying to throw the goalie off pace, knowing that the goalie was expecting one of those, you know, rifles. And, you know, had it gone in on the five hole, which, by the way, Pete, one of the most common moves in the NHL is, like, when players come, like, forehand, backhand, and just barely slide it through the five foot like a mile an hour kind of like a no move yeah so like if that puck goes in everybody's tweeting out pasta emojis um (laughs) but and and, oh my god he's so genius for 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 changing up the 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 pace of his shot um but yeah scott i want you to text me offline some of these names because i didn't see this so i'm curious who should be embarrassed um but yeah i i i I, I mean, there's a certain a certain big name afternoon show host on a different sports radio station. Oh no, probably, he would never. Yeah, he would never say that. He's Got always it. so level-headed and. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, yeah, I also agree that that was that was a crazy story. I can't believe after all that that kid has done for the team in the last, I mean, ten years really, but <laughs> the last two years, it's like crawl back in your holes. Um, <laughs> All right, yeah. So we're probably good to to pass this along to our interview with with uh, Peter Sibner of Elite Prospects. So thank you all for listening to this portion of the podcast and enjoy the interview. We are joined by Peter Sibner. Peter Sibner is the head of Elite Prospects. He's been doing that for twelve years. Peter, it's great to have you with us. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about with you, from Bruins prospects to some of the local college hockey players that I uh, are get kind of a little bit famous in town. Macklin Celebrini. I know Scott, Scott went to BU by the way. Um, so he's going to want to talk about a little bit about BU. I know. Um, so Peter, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And I'm, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Scott go first because I know Scott, we're just coming off of world juniors and obviously that's a big stage where you get to see so many different prospects for so many different organizations. And um, if you're a Bruins fan, you're tracking certain people, even if you're just a, a hockey fan, you're, you're tracking so many different guys that you think you might see in the NHL in maybe a year or two. So Scott, I know you had a question to do with that. Well, I want to start with actually the player who I can't help but notice is the number one most searched player on elite prospects right now. And that is unsurprisingly Carter Gauthier, uh, Boston College sophomore, Team USA star, World Juniors, who 
was just traded from the Flyers to the Anaheim Ducks for Jamie Drysdale, a second round pick and whole kind of crazy circumstances around there where apparently he wasn't going to play for the Flyers and wasn't even talking to them. So things kind of came to a head, but Peter, what did you make of all that? And what do you, what do you think when you see a, a trade like this with, you know, a, a huge prospect and a huge, you know, highly rated young defenseman like Drysdale? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, I mean, there were certainly waves, right? I mean, he's just coming off. I thought, to go back to the world juniors, that was one of the best American world junior teams I have ever seen from a team perspective. They essentially had three first line and, and, and Cutter Gauthier himself. I mean, he struggled to score a little bit. He didn't score, I think until, uh, well, he scored that big goal against Finland. Um, but he was a really good player. I mean, he had what two goals, eight assists coming off a, a big win. And then this happens basically the next day, or at least, you know, on Monday, the week after the Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday after the, the world juniors, it was just, I couldn't believe it. That said, I had heard some rumors that there was one player on the U S team, uh, a high draft pick that were apparently not looking to play for the team that had selected him in the draft. So I was kind of curious, like, who could that be? And, you know, it all became obvious here uh, Monday night, of course uh, it's, we don't see this a lot, guys. It's it's a pretty rare thing. But to be honest, I think we're going to see more and more of it, especially the guys coming out of college with college now being such a breeding ground for prime NHL players that it is. Uh, you put up some good numbers in world juniors, you put up some good numbers in college, and all of a sudden, you have something to negotiate with, right? And looking at the trade, I don't really know. Drysdale's been injured. Where does he stand right now? I know he can certainly be a number one defenseman for a team in the NHL. We've only seen glimpses of what he can do at the NHL level, I think. But to be honest, I think Anaheim won this uh, player for player. They certainly did because Cutter Gauthier can be, he can score a hundred points in the NHL and the Anaheim Ducks will have maybe the most scary forward prospect pool in the league moving forward. That said, you know, rough hand to play for the Flyers. If the kid doesn't want to be there, they needed to make a move. Just like Jonesy said, they got to make the move, you know, while his value is at, is at an all-time high. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, it felt like the, the Flyers kind of optimized that uh, that situation, right? It, it's, it's, as you mentioned, it's a tough hand for them to play. And, you know, their comments were really interesting. Like, they, they applauded the other uh, GMs around the league um, because, you know, if, if that situation got out that the player didn't want to be there, then there's, there's less um, leverage for the flyers and, and everybody on the league played it very well. And um, that probably goes a long way for um, GM relationships and whatnot. No, but it was certainly, I mean, such a splash. We had a, a funny video with him during the World Juniors, where he uh, where he had to admit that he was a Pittsburgh Penguins fan growing up, and and of course that one blew up right after the <laughs> the trade was announced. So it was kind of funny, but you know, uh, as college kids becomes, I mean, their value is going up. NCAA, the hockey is just getting better and better and better. It is uh, more common for players now to take a year or two in college, even as really high draft picks. 
Um, and, you know, it's just another window, another one or two year showcase for them to put some pressure on the team that will eventually have to sign them before the window closes. I mean, they, they can only sign them for, for, for so long. So I think we're going to see more Cutter Gauthier situations pan out in the future. We've already had one or two, but but this was certainly the one that made the biggest waves. Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that what happened with John Farinacci in the offseason? Um, yeah, so his, his rights expired with Arizona. I don't, I don't know if that was, you know, his decision, their decision, but in, in his case, he had reached like the four years post draft and, uh, went to free agency. Peter, I, I had a follow up on that because you mentioned kind of the, you know, sort of these college kids draft picks, maybe trying to bet more direct where, where they end up. Do you see that becoming kind of a trend? Because I know in this case, Philadelphia said right after the draft, you know, there's even video of it, Gautier saying he was, you know, excited to be a flyer and seemed on board with everything. But our team's going to have to be more aware of, you know, who is willing to play for them, who's actually going to be excited to be a part of their organization yeah, I mean- where – yeah. The kids will always say that, right? No one since Eric Lindros has basically said, I will not play for that team. Trade me right now. <laughs> so so the kids will always say that. But behind the scenes, there's obviously a lot going on. You know, you got the uh, you got the financial discussion going on, bonuses, etc., cetera, uh, signing the entry-level deal. But you also have the coaching situation, right? So in this case, of course, John Tortorella being who he is, I can imagine – um, there's definitely some young kids out there that might, you know, be a little scared to play for him. I don't know if that factored into the decision at all, if it was a money thing, if it was a, you know, relationship going sour thing, maybe he didn't want to play for a team that might be, a, you know, struggle to make the playoffs for the next few years. I don't know what went down in this particular scenario, but of course this could have opened the floodgates because for every drafted kid there are these discussions going on between him and his team and especially in the college situation where he's putting up great numbers getting a big showcase um highly touted and hasn't signed yet so so if anything i think cutter Gauthier may have opened the door for more players to do what he did i'm not saying that's necessarily the case but certainly now they have an even more prominent case to point to it yeah, certainly like- goes against like the culture of you know like you see the like some of the older generation of hockey players weighing in about how much they hate this. Yeah, and I think that that one of the main reasons why they hate it so much is that he ref- like according to the reporting he's refused to even meet with them, which seems unprofessional. Um, so I think that the if I'm right, I think they flew some of the Flyers flew, uh, management flew to Sweden to try to talk to him during world juniors and that fell through. So then this whole thing like became completely a like burnt bridge with everything. Yeah. That's what I, I know uh, Briere and Keith Jones were there. Um, I don't know for what re I mean, you usually get a lot of GM and other brass at a world junior. I've been to 10 of them pretty much. And, and there's always a lot of NHL brass around the hallway. So I don't know if they were there for that particular reason, but it certainly does make sense if you didn't even want to meet with them. And they had a taker. Well, they 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 had to play the hand they were given. Yeah, I mean, Adam Fox is probably the prime example right now across the league of of this situation turning into stardom for for the team that didn't draft him. 
Uh, but speaking of Adam Fox in, in Team USA, uh, Peter, so Team USA wins gold for the sixth time in 20 years. Um, I'm not the biggest uh, math person, but what's that, Scott? 30%, give or take? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, right along those lines. Right along those lines. Um, so just maybe your your opinion on the, the international landscape at the world junior level. Obviously, Team USA has always been a threat, but, you know, they're just getting better and better. Um and and yeah, just great success for them. And and what you make of you mentioned that this was their best team. You think one of their best teams they've they've showcased. Yeah, from a team perspective, I thought it was because they had a little bit of everything, right? Um, the depth was just we, we've seen potentially more skilled individual players over the past few years, uh, more highlight real goals and whatnot. But from a pure go there and win the tournament perspective. I think this was one of the most impressive teams um, that I can remember. I remember the 93s with uh, with Seth Jones and Johnny Goudreau, I guess. Um, they, they had a really strong team that year. Um, but but yeah, this is this was this was a machine. Uh, they were there to win and they pulled it off and I think they played their best game of the tournament where it mattered the most, which was the championship game. I, if you've ever played or been to Scandinavium, you know it's a crazy arena to play in. 12,000 people, all of them wearing yellow jerseys, loud as hell. It's hot, uh, very hostile environment, and they just go out there like professionals and just push the button and win it. So so I was really impressed. What is, for? I guess I should preface this for people who might not know, you're and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're originally from Sweden, live in the U.S. now, so you really are kind of the perfect person to talk to about this. But what has the reaction been like in Sweden? Because they're hosting, they ha- they haven't won in a while. Feels like, you know, this could have been their year or a team of destiny for them. Ends up not happening. And then the World Junior, the gold medal game really ends kind of ugly with, you know, some some fighting, punches being thrown. U.S. has kind of given it to the crowd a little bit. What's sort of been the fallout over there? Um, well, I mean, the the fact that we don't win World Juniors a lot, <laughs> that, that's been a topic of conversation for a long time because we certainly had the teams to do it, we felt like, right? I mean, we've lost to the U.S. a couple of times. We, we've lost to Canada uh, fairly recently. Uh, and of course, these guys, the 04s, the 05s, they've been going up against the Americans now in the U18s a uh, couple years in a row. So this was a bit of a rivalry brewing here. These guys have been playing each other a lot over the past couple of years. So I say um, in Sweden, the Swedish crowd, obviously very riled up there at the end. But from a discussion standpoint, I think the discussion now is, OK, we're still not winning World Juniors. This was the best team we've had in a long time, home ice and we still can't pull it off. Well, it's a country of 10 million people. Obviously, our talent development system is, is one of the best in the world. You know, the, 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 the NHL player per capita ratio is extremely high, but we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta take note of what the Americans are doing because it's not just Canada anymore. It's definitely, I'd say the Americans have the best talent development system in the world right now. And, and, and I think in Sweden, we're looking at USA hockey, like what are they doing? Uh, how are how are they succeeding? Not just breeding really good hockey players, but also making them be able to win, preparing them for the winning moment, right? And do you so 
obviously now compared to say five, 10 years ago, there's a lot more foreign players coming to play in college. Like in, in the NCAA, we see them, we see some really, I mean, Will Ander was on team Sweden. He plays in college over here. Um, so do you think that maybe that if, if more Swedish players or European players in general were willing to travel over to the U S and play college hockey, that the product might, you know, they, they might see a little bit of a boost there. Definitely. And I think, you know, um, 20 years ago, going to college was, that was the outlier option, right? That was, that was what 20, 21 year old players did when they didn't really have any other good option. Um, now it's a prime viable alternative for an 18 year old Swede to go and play college. Uh, the hockey in college is so much better now than it was. I mean, it was good 10, 15 years ago, but the product is growing. Um, you know, agents are now recommending their players to go to college. Certain players are certainly better fit for that than, than going to play Canadian major junior or maybe play five, six, seven minutes a night in the Swedish elite league. So, so I mean, college has definitely it's it's up there at the top now as for an avenue to make it to the NHL. And Swedish clubs teams know that. Swedish players know that. Their agents know that. And I think it's just a matter of time before the product NCAA hockey, which is basically nothing in Sweden. You can't, I mean, you have to go on an online IPTV stream or something like that to even see it. I, I, I think that could be emphasized a little bit more too. Yeah, Peter. I mean, I think we have an international feed. I'm a college hockey broadcaster. We have international feeds for most of um, our our streams. I have no idea what it's like to try to connect to them because I'm not from Sweden, but I know we we stream internationally and uh, there's like a player from Russia that her yeah. parents listen in and different things like that. Yeah, I, I, I watch it all the time, but, but you know, I, I really think the European audience, um, you know, we're doing at Elite Prospects, we're doing what we can. We're, we're, we're heavily promoting the Beanpot, for instance. We always travel to the Beanpot and cover that, you know, that tournament or that event, if you will, uh, extensively. Uh, we try to put out a lot of stories about uh, Europeans playing college hockey. So we're certainly doing our part, but but the product is too good to be ignored from a media perspective. Peter, these guys will have some specific questions probably regarding uh, Bruins prospects and some local talent. But before they do, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question because I've been following Elite Prospects for a while. And um, you know, if you ask any parent in youth hockey, they'll tell you their kid's Wayne Gretzky. But uh, Elite Prospects has a bit of a process about, you know, who an elite prospect actually is when, when internally is it that you guys, what age will you find uh, a player to be on your radar to even have them qualify for, for elite prospects uh, website? Um, and what goes into that for you guys internally? Well, so it used to be at age 16. Um, that's when we started adding um, players back in the day, but we were getting so many requests from players because really, you know, the elite level, hockey begins at Bantam, definitely in the U.S., right? That's when you start, you know, that's when you go triple A. Uh, that's when you start thinking about, you know, getting drafted to the USHL or, 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 or the CHL. So uh, five years ago, we made an exception and we started adding players from the age of 14. So there is a set of leagues that we cover like organically, if you will. Um, 
but there's also the option if you play hockey if you're on a team that we cover and you don't have a profile we will add you if you're on a team or in a league that we don't cover you can still get your player profile on elite prospects but you have to be a premium member so there's this we have the organic coverage of 15 i don't know 14,000 hockey leagues maybe <laughs> uh so it's um it's a mixed bag, really. Uh, like the AAA leagues in North America, a lot of the good high school leagues, we will cover those organically. So we will make sure we get the roster up there. We will get the stats up there, but we won't update your individual like height and weight on an annual basis. We'll, we will do that basically once a year. So that's mm -hmm. where we've seen a lot of growth in, in, in paying subscribers now. It's, it's kids looking to take control of their profile, have access to their profile and, mm -hmm. you know, update height and weight and get cool looking pictures up there. So, but generally age 14 in North America is when we start adding players. And if you call us up and say you're a peewee, we will probably not add you unless you took part in one of the very few peewee tournaments that we cover. So, so we try to keep it at age 14. We probably won't go lower than that. And uh, you guys probably had your work cut out for you a little bit. The PWHL just started. Uh, that's a big league to be added to uh, elite prospects. I've actually been, so I'm one of the broadcasters for the Boston team and I've been on elite prospects every single day, like taking notes, like clicking every player bio profile. When did they play at college? When did they go to the Olympics? Like medals, like it's really well organized for people. If you're trying to learn about players, like you can just search click it'll give you like a list year by year of where they played um what and some of their like accolades like say they're an ncaa champion or uh silver medalist or, or what have you um usually it's all listed right there so it's been a huge help for me going through um learning all these new teams in the pwhl and preparing for my broadcast so that's probably been a big thing for you guys over the past i don't know it's only been like under two weeks yeah, I mean, uh, they didn't have much of a runway to to launch the league, really. I mean, they the teams still don't really have names. Um, and, and I mean, uh, it was tough the way everything happened, right? The PHF folding and, I know. and uh, <laughs> you know, still moving out of, of the darkness of the pandemic, really, with everything from sponsorships to whatnot. So I'm really impressed with what they have done so far, because I know launching a brand new brand like this, it's not easy. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot that goes into it. So at this point, I think the PWHL has done a great job. And this is so important for women's hockey to have a professional level, because as of right now, when you're 22, 23 coming out of college, it's the national team and not really much else for North American players. You can go to Europe and play, play in the pro league, but that pro league is not really that high of a level. Uh, you don't get paid at all, basically. You get your accommodation paid for, basically. So, so I think this is a massive step. The PWHL so far, they've done it really, really well. Just look at the, the crowds we've had in you know Montreal, Minnesota. I mean, it, it is great. Uh, I just hope they can keep the mojo going here uh, throughout this entire inaugural season, because if they can do that, the sponsors will come. We have covered women's hockey at elite prospects since 2014. 
So we started adding women's statistics before anyone else uh, ever thought to do it. So, so we've done our part and uh, we will uh, continue to improve. Uh, with women's hockey, it's a little more difficult because the stats aren't as readily available online as they are for men's hockey. So it's a little bit more of a challenge, but we have a, a, a staff of, of volunteers and paid staffers that are really, really keen on women's hockey. I work with Bo Marchwick, one of our longtime staffers. He is an absolute super fan of women's hockey, and he has done a tremendous job making sure we're up to speed with the PWHL. So, so we're all really excited, and we hope it really works out this time. It seems, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like it's, it, it has a lot of momentum as it is. And um, anyway, yeah, it's been helpful uh, going on and, and cause you know, it just launched and there's a lot of like cramming that I've had to do. Um, so there's one player I want to bring up. We'll switch kind of a little switch gears back a little bit to college. Uh, and this is somebody Scott uh, cares a lot about Macklin Celebrini. Uh, <laughs> so obviously team Canada uh, BU and projected to go number one uh, overall in the, in the upcoming NHL draft. I just want your, uh, your, just your opinion on what you saw from him in the tournament, or I don't know how much of a chance you've had to watch him play at BU. Uh, just your thoughts on him, and is he a number one overall draft pick in your mind? Um, I mean, nothing really changed that, if you ask me. I think, you know, a Canadian team that it certainly wasn't the best Canadian team we've seen um, from a roster perspective, uh, and, and it also ended uh, in a big disappointment for them. And, you know, of course, him coming in 17 years old, not even, you know, not even Connor McDavid was a big player in his first World Juniors. Um, I was there in Malmo when he made his World Junior debut and he wasn't he didn't stand out in any material way. Uh, I will say that Macklin Celebrini uh, did that for Canada. I mean, he was probably the best player on the team and they ended up relying on him for, for scoring goals and driving offense. And I think he started on the third or fourth line. So, so, I mean, uh, expectations were high, but um, I think he did all and more than you can expect from, from a 17 year old kid. Peter, I wanted to circle, but we had talked about, uh, you know, Swedish players maybe coming over to college and, wanted to tie this to the Bruins a little bit because they've made a habit in recent years of drafting out of Sweden and specifically like in middle late rounds, they've targeted guys who were maybe still a year away from coming over to college. And, you know, there was 2021, three of their first four picks were all Swedish. There's Fabian Lysel, yeah. obviously went the major junior route. Phillips Vedbach, who's at Providence, Oscar Yelvik at BC. The next year, you know, Donzos Mellis is Latvian, but was playing in Sweden. He's at UMass now. Their last two picks this past year were out of Sweden. When did, does, especially starting with that 2021 draft, does that kind of send up some, you know, an antenna for you where when you see a team kind of suddenly drafting all out of one spot, or is it sort of just random luck of the draw that, you know, that maybe the board just fell that way? Yeah, so I mean, they're they're not the first team to do that, right? They've got, I mean, they've got. Uh, you all remember PJ Axelson, I guess, from mm -hmm. from his uh, playing days. Um, and if you know him as a person, you know he's a very lovable person. 
uh, and he loves to be around the rinks and he does a, you know, he's their director of European scouting, I believe. Um, He's done a tremendous job um, helping them make good decisions. They're not the first team to do this. If you look at Detroit, what they did starting basically in the early to mid nineties, they had a lot of success with, with late round Swedish draft picks. And, 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 that said, it's harder to do that these days because you don't get as many hidden gems anymore. There's not really a lot of diamonds in the rough to be found because every pro league in Europe is so heavily covered by the NHL teams these days. It's not just boots on the ground, guys at the rink. It's it's all the video analytics you can do. All the, all the games are accessible to you to watch on video. So the intel that the... Um, NHL teams have to work with is just so much better now than it was. Um, it could be coincidence. I mean, at any given draft, you're there with your 147th overall pick and you got to make a decision, right? So it's one player or the other. And, and, and for now, the Bruins have, have opted to go with Swedes over other players. We have had a lot of success with Swedish players being drafted late. Henrik Setterberg, and I can name a lot of examples, but uh, I don't think they're looking for anything specific. It's just that that player happened to be their primary choice over the next guy. All right. Well, do you guys have any more questions for Peter? I feel like we got a lot of them in. Scott? Yeah, yeah no, I think I think we're good. This is great. Thanks a lot, Peter. Yeah, yeah we really you, appreciate Peter. it. Thank you so much, guys. It's been an honor.